Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're joining us from around the world. Welcome to Web3 Warriors, episode 70, featuring TP, an OG Cree, Anishinaabe, lens-based, and digital artist, and an amazing leader in this Web3 space who has been hosting awesome conversations since I met her back in 2021, and really inspiring conversations um, about the power of Web3 and NFTs. Welcome, TP. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Good evening. Uh, I'm doing good. It's nice and sunny in Manitoba. As you would know. <laughs> That's another thing I can't forget to mention. A fellow Manitoban joining us from Gimli, just a little bit north of me here in Winnipeg. I uh, appreciate you being here. And it is nice and sunny and it's been uh, summertime, our short-lived summers. We always try to take advantage of. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. Lake Country. All the lawnmowers are going right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, we can't hear them, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I try. I'm trying. I have all the windows closed. But anyways, yeah, all good here. Good How's stuff. it going with you? Awesome. Excited? It's going well here. Excited to have this conversation and uh, learn more about your story, as I know it's very inspiring from what I do know already. But I look forward to really having a deep dive and hearing more about your Web3 journey. Thank you, everybody, again for joining us. This is Web3 Warriors. I'm your host, David Karoma. Go by Chrome in the metaverse. And as always, we are pushing the Web3 space forward and really just trying to talk to creators and builders in the space and focus on the technology, on the culture, on the uh, real optimistic kind of potential of the Web3 space and less about the FOMO, less about, you know, getting rich overnight and all these other things that you tend to hear about uh, when thinking about NFTs and crypto. But really the the potential is in the technology. So what we're going to be focusing on today, and we have TP here to really explain this from a very kind of impactful perspective, I think. And it's been a recurring theme on this show, which is really the uh, potential for culture to be pres uh, preserved as well as promoted and also protected on the blockchain, you know, because these NFTs are immutable, because people do have their own kind of sovereign right to tell their story and share their art in a way that kind of resonates with them. And once it's on the blockchain, nobody can take it away, right? So that's why it is a powerful tool to promote, preserve, and protect culture, I believe. Um, and we've seen this through a few interviews that we've had on the show. So we have Kofi's African Masks, where he's really preserving the culture of, you know, the African masks that have been kind of made taboo in a lot of corners of the world, um, but actually have a really beautiful story to tell. You know, we've talked to Zeon with his Afrocentric mandala style, really highlighting the beauty of the African culture and some of their artworks. Um, we also spoke to Brown Eagle, who I think was our only other fellow Manitoban that I've had on the show so far, who's looking at kind of the final side of crypto and his project is decolonized capital which is looking to help empower you know reserve communities and indigenous communities with the use of cryptocurrency and really being able to kind of detach themselves potentially from some of the more um, oppressive tactics of the banking industry and really the government uh, more broadly so those are just a few projects that we've talked to on the show and really highlighted the impactful potential for uh, nfts and web3 and blockchain to really empower you know cultural like taking back your culture, really, and really giving people the opportunity to share their stories and to really proclaim their culture in a way that 
resonates with them and is not necessarily told by gatekeepers or the most popular people uh, with a platform, right? So that's what we're going to get into today. And I really know that TP is the best uh, <laughs> guest we can have to have a kind of full conversation about that. So really looking forward to that. I and mean, as I mentioned, you know, the rooms that you've hosted, TP, have been very inspiring when I am able to get into there. It's always been a very global, eclectic, kind of multicultural group of people that you've attracted. Um, and really, it inspired me, if I'm being quite honest, you know, hearing a fellow Manitoban having these awesome, huge rooms with multicultural global audiences was definitely a part of the inspiration behind this podcast, really, and really just, you know, taking the initiative to host my own clubhouse spaces and to try to push the uh, space forward in my own way. So thank you for that, TP, and uh, thank you for joining. And without any further ado, maybe we can um, start with a bit of a background on yourself. I'd love to hear, you know, what brought you to Web3 and NFTs and, you know, maybe a little bit of the story behind TP, the artist name or your uh, handle NFTP, which has become ubiquitous and uh, is really impressive. So thanks for joining. Uh, maybe if you could start with a, a bit of a story behind, you know, what brought you to Web3. Oh my gosh, I, my head is spinning in every direction trying to think, where do I start? Um, I think the best place to start would be Clubhouse um, because there was a set of circumstances that brought me there to begin with, which was um, I am part of the class action suit against the government of Canada as a 60 scoop survivor. Um, and there was um, monies that were being paid out to claimants and as an eligible claimant i was uh, uh, anticipating uh being sent uh, some of the monies um in that class action um and so for me i was really trying to figure out what i would do um, and how best to utilize that money in a way that would have some longevity for my children um and so i was looking at investing um and i spent a little bit of time before i came into web3 uh, really understanding ESGs and kind of looking at what is ESG. I was looking to buy with startup companies that are looking to as green investments. Um, and I'm, I, I don't want to virtue signal in any way because I can never speak to whether or not, you know, somebody's goal, they're meeting their goals or not. But um, I was trying to figure this all out. So for me, I was just trying to figure out, do I invest in, in startup companies or do I invest in companies that are already established a long history of, of really being able to provide for their shareholders and have growth for their shareholders? Um, and are they meeting the kind of standards that I would like to see as part of sustainability goals, which not are not limited just to um, what they're doing with climate change and sustainability and green, uh, but also what they're doing for me. Sustainability also means what are you doing to represent the community and and be responsive to community members. Um, and so that's number one for me. So ESG was one of those abilities to have a ranking system um, for shareholders. And so for, I looked at that and I was like, well, you can either go with a startup, so you're just investing anew, or you're going to look at doing insider activism. And to me, as a little OG punk rocker, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be insider activist, meaning you can look at the rating system. Um, and so that would, yeah, I'll give an example, and then I'll explain how that got me into Clubhouse. But an example of an ESG rating system would be if you're going to rate, say, um, Domino's Pizza. 
Domino's Pizza is, uh, does it have, okay, they, you know, do they, are they driving green cars and they're not driving green cars? You know, are they, uh, do they have a good uh, diversity in their employee pool? Do they have, are they responsive to, to employee complaints? Do they have a lot of complaints against them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole range of issues there that you would address, not just whether or not their people are, you know, the company is doing carbon sinks uh, or carbon offsets. So, um, I think there's like a lot of polarity. People think that a company is very focused on on ecology and sustainability, and I just think it's a very narrow narrative. And <laughs> for sure, and, uh, I, so I always look at a little askance at some of the things that people are making statements of, and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, anyway. So that was before I came in. I was just really trying to understand that. <clears throat> and so my daughter, my eldest daughter was telling me about um, Clubhouse. And she said, this is, uh, it was just Christmas time, 2021. So we're, you know, in COVID times and still kind of dealing with lockdown. And um, she said, well, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of conversations there. And so she had invited me to Clubhouse and um, and I spent some time looking and in investing in, in different um, sustainability. But I've also been very involved in art and tech uh, through my own per, uh, professional life and personal life. So I, those are the kind of categories I looked at. And I ended up in... Um, some different film rooms because I'm also work for uh, the Directors Guild of Canada. Oh my God, there's just a million things that I do. But <laughs> quite the resume. So I was in some, yeah, I was in a clubhouse, and I went into a couple of rooms, uh, and they were massive, massive rooms. Ed, Ed, Ed those two brothers, Cranstein's, I think mm, they are. Yeah, the Krasensteins. Yeah. Krasensteins. Yeah. Yes, I was in there. Uh, and, uh, so I was like, there's just no way to, to have a conversation about, I want to talk about this. I was listening to it for a couple of weeks, um, and listening to those rooms. And then, um, I hadn't actually connected with a whole bunch of people yet. I was just listening. I was really shy to speak. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which I apologize to anybody that's wondering why I'm not live. If you are know anything about Northern indigenous communities, they're lucky you even have me on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> No worries, no issues. You're not the first guest to not uh, want to go live on camera. It's no problem. Yeah. So uh, back to the that time though in Clubhouse, <clears throat> it was primarily that there was people. I was sure people like me that wanted to talk about art, that had questions, that wanted to connect. Mm-hmm. And I realized a lot of people were learning just as I was. So um, I started hosting my own club my own space my own club rooms and um i noticed that people were coming in and saying that they were artists they like everybody's idea of an artist is somebody that paints and that's it it's like i'm an artist and that at that time that's really what it was and i felt really bad for them um and i said everybody's an artist it's whether what are you channeling like what are you what are you doing and so i've had this conversations many times outside in real life when i had an artist co-op so i've had a lot of people there's there seems to be like a lot of confusion on how we define ourselves as artists so i named the club the creators co-op um, because I say we're all creators. And I described it like when we're in a film set 
or we're in we're working on a film production you know there's pre-production production and post-production there's marketing there's all there's so many moving parts uh and all of those people are creators in some way including like crafty craft services which is food accountants everything there's just so many moving parts to to the creative industry so mm-hmm. i created the Cre- creators co-op trying to in- be inclusive literally that was my goal multimedia <laughs> And uh, so I spent a lot of time uh, in Clubhouse. That was the number one thing for me. Uh, At that time, there was a lot of Asian hate going on. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wanted to be responsive to that. And um, some of the first NFTs I ever shared were from Asian artists. Um, And there wasn't a lot of separation in Clubhouse yet about different clubs. There was... um, there was just a lot of general rooms, like just NFTs. What's an NFT? Or, right. and what is that? What is crypto? Um, and so the creators co-op, uh, I would run, I think the first session uh, was a hundred and probably 130 days straight between eight to 12 hour rooms. And I was like delirious by the end of it. I re-emerged. <laughs> it was mother's day. It was like, Holy moly. So it was just a lot of different rooms with uh, multilingual communities. And I would just have people that, you know, say, come on up. And um, it was just everything in its time, that mentality, there was no rush. It was everything in its time. And so people would just come in and hang out. And that's one of the stories that I hear the most is that they would wait for like six hours to speak and they would be listening and stuff. (laughs) And I just thought, that's crazy. So that was my, my intro to, uh, to, the community was just li- letting people talk uh, in a very mindful and considerate way and trying to be uh, understand more about uh, NFTs and um, and diverse diversity in that space. I was already advocating for multi-chain from the very beginning as somebody that started on wax. Uh, was looking wow, at a wax, eh? advocating for a Tezos uh, mm-hmm. during that time. All three of them uh, were the entirety of the conversation. So, and then they started. There was a lot of branching out afterwards to Tezos rooms or or things like that. But yeah. the creep was completely multi-chain, multilingual, and multimedia. And so, how did the the kind of technological? Because you didn't know about Web three and NFTs kind of prior to that time on Clubhouse, right? So, how did the tech side of the, those creative co-op kind of rooms um, evolve, right? Because it, it ultimately, you, I think, onboarded a lot of people, right? Like there were people that maybe resonated with the creator side of it, but didn't quite understand the NFT side of it, right? And so were you kind of learning right alongside with all the other creatives and maybe you got a developer in the room or you had some NFT advocate who could, you know, break it down more from a technical perspective? How did, how did that kind of onboarding conversation go? Um. I've always been into tech. I've always been uh, somebody that I can't even remember the word of ever since I heard the word, I forgot the word, but it's somebody that's a self learner. Uh, And uh, I can't remember. So somebody knows it just texted me. So I know (laughs) what it is. I can put it in my bio. But I really believe in self learning. I'm one of those people that people call all the time for help because um, one, uh, I, I, teach children. I've been in the education system as a teacher. Uh, I ran after school. Pro- I'm one of those people that's responsive to community. I see what community needs. And then I, if you, you know, you build it for them and then leave it for somebody else to take care of afterwards. So uh, teaching children has helped me understand a lot about what is the very basics that people need. Um, and all of it usually has to do with having proper resources. Um, so you can, and also time, you give people time and that that 
um, that moment to say, you know, here, check this out. But if you message me, if you have any questions um, and for some reason, it's that encouragement, that encouragement in itself that gets people to follow through with it. They'll actually watch it. Um, I think if people stay in that state of confusion, they don't go forward, right? They're stuck there in this little mini cycle of I can't do yeah. it. And if I can, just uh, just let me know how you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you get <laughs> and discouraged, right? Through, right? <laughs> you get discouraged and you just leave. So having someone yeah. like you who's just very open and there for assistance. And if you don't know the answer, you'll reach out to someone else who knows the answer. And your network was huge, right? Like it grew quite substantially. Um, so it's really awesome that that worked out the way it did for you. Um, I, I love that you mentioned kind of right off the bat that it was about trying to find investment. Um, yeah, the 60 scoop situation is you know, one of many sad parts of our history. And it's good that there is some kind of rectifying that has been attempted or being worked on um, for sure. And you mentioned ESG, which is environmental, social and governance standards. Right. And I love that, you know, you got some you have money that you want to invest and you were looking at that angle of things, because I think too much in the space broadly in the investor space, really, um, you hear people like Elon Musk and others basically writing off ESG as some bureaucratic nonsense that doesn't matter. But we do have actual investors like yourself, and I'd I'd fall into this category as well, um, that care about the ESG standards of a company that they want to invest in. And I think that the fact that you you went into investing with that lens is awesome. And it's always good to hear that that actually exists. You know, (laughs) it's not all just like government saying, oh, you must do this, that or the next thing. Like, no, there's actual real world impacts. And in a past life, not too long ago, I was in the corporate world and I actually worked directly on ESG. And yes, there is, you know, to your other point about virtue signaling and a lot of like empty kind of like paper promises, right? There is some of that for sure. Um, but ultimately, actual change has to happen as well. And without tracking that change and actually advocating for that change, it doesn't happen as we've seen. So I just love that you brought that up. Um, so what have been kind of some of the challenges around having that lens and really moving in this space um, that you've encountered, you know, um, and how do you feel about it from an investment standpoint? Like, did you find the investments you were looking for? Or are you just kind of jumped into NFTs and, and went that direction. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, um, it's interesting. What ended up happening was really understanding a little bit more about the artist community. Um, so I stayed for the art, quite honestly, um, and the, the, the humanity, the, the people behind the artwork, um, which is really, really important to me. Um, when we look at ESGs, um, and we look at the, that kind of tie into NFTs and crypto, um, and we look at investments. I, I was thinking a lot about how uh, how that we incorporate the ideology of like having voter rights, um, and you see that evolving with DAOs um, and different things. And those were conversations that I, because I had an interest. I all of a sudden had a say, like I had an interest in what, what are artist uh, platforms doing? Like, what are they doing? Um, What are their goals? What about sanctions? What does international mean? What about regulations? How does it all tie together? How do regulations with uh, carbon offsets work? Uh, What are the governments and regulations and whether or not those are actually international? So when any, any organization or any DAO or any business is making claims, Um, how are we able to track that? Um, and do artists care about that? And artists should care about that if they're going to be 
uh, utilizing that platform. I think there are platforms that have, uh, you know, come, um, you know, like they um, arrived, (laughs) they plateaued and they left. Mm. Right. So uh, whatever happened to all of that, that uh, investment material, all the monies that went to that, all the claims that went along with that, what happened to the artists that were behind uh, that are still there? Um, And so to me, there's a lot of reasons why artists should care. Um, And it's a lot to unpack for somebody that's completely was just an artist uh, in. And when I say just not to minimize the role of the artist, the artists, the platforms are here and the artists and they survive because of the artists and the creatives. Right. Um, So I don't mean to minimize that at all. I mean, I'm just saying the artist came in just as an artist. They didn't come in as an investor. They didn't come in as a business manager. They didn't come in as a social media manager. They came in with the hope of finding the right uh, opportunity and the right match for them to get their artwork seen in the right way and the right promotion and the right, uh, you know, sustainability for the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. And is it just, uh, you know, it's not just going to be one year in, in the, the bear market or the bull market. And then right. we go into the bear market and everybody just falls off the planet. Right. So well, that's, uh, that's a big part of it. It seems. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, and what I see in this place, and because the question ultimately was, what do I see some of the challenges are? And I would say the biggest challenge is just like, oh, there's a lot of emotion that comes a lot with this, a lot that goes with finances, a lot that goes with artists. And the most sensitive souls are artists because we're transmitting our insides to our outsides, which is really how I look at it and described it that way, because it's true. That's like, beautiful. This is the this is this is what we're doing. So when we do that, we're extremely vulnerable. Mm. Um, and so when we see uh, something not moving, or we see or we experience that, that's a true feeling. And it's there's the the output is gonna um, like we're gonna feel like we're dead in the water. We're gonna feel like we're not seen. Um, and it's kind of hard. I can't even imagine. Uh, other people's experiences but for me it's been a challenge because i've had through i had many many hardships and we could talk about some of the trc afterwards Mm. but i've had many hardships and so for me my response to this space is to really minimize a lot of the negativity i see and really understand that it has nothing to do with me this this that negativity has to do with the person that's putting it out like that is really uh yeah they're putting their insides on their outsides too. And that person is hurting, obviously. Um, and I think financially, we we have that weird crux, that re- weird intersection between this extreme artist vulnerability mm-hmm. and the fragility of uh, economics. <laughs> the reality of the hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. And so there's like the artists don't want to necessarily do that. I mm-hmm. don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've mentioned to you personally that, you know, uh, I, I would need an accountant to figure some stuff out. Right. I'm an emotional person. I'm like, I would respond. I would take less. I would give somebody everything. Thing I have before I would worry about that. That's part of our indigenous way as well. Like our teachings are about kinship, right? Our number of our first teaching is kinship. And how are we all connected to each other? So kindness and compassion is the number one thing. So it starts throwing some numbers and hard numbers in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I love that. I love that you bring the indigenous teachings into it. And I think that's been something that's been recurring since the first time uh, I joined you in one of your rooms. And You know, I love that the way that the indigenous teachings kind of influence your outreach to the whole Web3 community and really, you know, I think bring a kind of um, healing in some ways. Right. Or at the very least, like kind of a 
kind of safety. Um, you know, we've spoken to uh, Sheila Darcy, who's got the healing coin. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's done a lot kind of on the West Coast and um, also speaks to the power of art to heal, right? And the idea that, like you just mentioned, you're vulnerable. I love the way you put it, you know, taking your insides and, and putting them on the outside, really, and showing them to people in ways that can be very impactful and powerful. But ultimately, when you put it out there, you are very vulnerable. And if it isn't bought, if it isn't, you know, retweeted and people don't acknowledge it, I could imagine you know, there's a certain feeling of, you know, a daunting feeling of, oh, was I not good enough? Or is this not, you know, why isn't this being seen, you know? Um, so yeah, I think you just wrapped up a lot of really important points there. So um, on the indigenous side of it, right, and I do have your uh, beautiful TP5 uh, NFTs on object right now uh, on the screen as we're chatting. So very cool. Uh, anyone can check that out on the video. Um, but how how is your indigenous teachings, your culture kind of influencing your movement in Web3? Now, obviously, your art directly, you know, comes from that background that you have. Um, but can you just speak to maybe the influences more broadly and how it's helping you kind of navigate Web3? Um, I would say from the very beginning of my journey. So just to kind of tie in the last point to this point here, uh, yesterday, I created a piece uh, and it's not everything is for sale. So I, I really do feel like it's really important for me to be responsive to what I see in the community. So there was a lot of really negative uh, kind of community output yesterday, you know, people pointing fingers at other people. And it seems to be every week there's something anyways, right? Yeah. So <laughs> the normal ecosystem, which is like any community, it's a community and community has ups and downs. Um, but for me, um, I saw something and it really makes me sad sometimes when I see really negative things. Again, it comes to my teachings about kind of being honorable and kinship, right? Mm. And so con uh, compassion comes. Um, and I do know Sheila Darcy very well in this space and also am a heel coin holder. Nice. Um, and so a part of that community. Um, um, so art is healing. And even just yesterday, the piece that I created, I, I like to share music and sometimes I find music that I want to share. And then I create a piece with it. Um, but yesterday I felt like be kind and be brave was my message. And so I made a piece called be kind and be brave. <laughs> it was just literally a response to what I, I think need, pe people need to see and hear. And mm. quite often now, like on my Twitter timeline, I have a pretty good following on my Twitter timeline. Yeah, you um, do. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty shocking to me. <laughs> but uh, I, that's where I see a lot of things. And so because it's all words, that's where the words happen, right? So you can certainly see uh, people's, you know, people send out messages of all kinds, uh, which is to be expected. Mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in, you know, it's a global community. And I think people in Web3 forget everybody on the planet can see that forever and ever more yep. <laughs> like that you're putting your insides on your outsides again and is it a good thing or a bad thing i don't know <laughs> so kindness and compassion was the point about that be kind be brave um oh, what, what was the original question Sorry, um yeah no just uh, the indigenous teachings influencing your your navigating web3 oh yes okay so be kind be brave so the first uh the the first I guess the first times I decided to speak, this is really important, and I treat people a lot like this in the space, um, was uh, we have a lot of different kinds of teachings. One of the things, uh, the, I think the third teaching is about um, humility. Um, and one of my favorite teachings and my favorite sayings, this is not necessarily a teaching, but one of my favorite sayings an elder share with me is, we're all walk walking the sharp edge of the knife between humility and pride. Hmm. Um, and so sometimes... 
I think that gets lost in a space where, <clears throat> you know, the loudest voices are heard. And um, so it's a challenge for people that are maybe neurodivergent. Um, I am one that's neurodivergent. And so for me to talk, uh, like literally before uh, I was talking to you and you were, I was, we're in that night, few minute waiting period before you're doing the transition to the Twitch. I was literally having an anxiety attack. My whole heart was oh, cluttering. No. <laughs> like I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> so like, I always think every moment, every moment is like, uh, go, uh, you're jumping off a diving board and uh, that's the be brave part. Mm. Um, and I've had to do that a number of times, uh, in the space in clubhouse, the very first times I ever spoke were because there was a lot of signaling, um, and a lot of stereotypes, uh, of indigenous. Um, and that was one of the, to answer your question. Um, and so I'm like, why are you talking about indigenous people while there's indigenous people in the room? You know, like, why wouldn't you invite an indigenous person to speak? on that instead of speaking about it, um, which is really one is a woman, is a Bear Clan woman. Uh, you know, I have a lot to share. I'm an environmental science graduate with the Center uh, for Indigenous Environmental Resources. <laughs> I've taken art history at the University of Manitoba, looking at arts uh, and cultural uh, appropriation and repatriation of a uh, sacred artifacts and things. I have a lot to say. <laughs> so uh, you have to be brave to go up and say that and not be angry and people right. ask uh how come you're not angry more angry i'm like because i value my teachings my mother was a day one elder uh bringing sundance ceremonies back to our northern communities and there's a lot to be angry about but we can't function that way it's actually a dismantling of of what connects us and the strengths right mm. so there's there's my experiences that we need to be responsive we need to raise our hands we need to even before before we raise our hands, we should be invited. And quite often in my now, it's 31 months I've been in NFTs and crypto, um, that it's very rare to be invited into the conversation, but it's quite often that I have to raise my hand. So I did so again yesterday. Um, and, I, and this is, again, the be, be uh, kind and be brave. Uh, they were talking about it. Trevor Jones, who was in a Twitter space yesterday. And they were talking about AI and culture. And I, again, it's so easy to go into any room where they're talking about culture and look at the people that are on the stage. And I guarantee you, there's not a lot of people that are representing culture up there. So I was like, oh, raise your hand. I would never. I was like terrified. And I did. And I spoke about culture, about indigenous culture. I talked about stereotypes, which is massively important to me. I said, you know, and this answers your question. One of the first questions that I, uh, first responses I ever had in, to Web3 conversation was um, they were talking about um, NFTs in a big room and they were talking about ceremonies and they were talking about shamanism and they were talking about, pay, uh, what's the drugs that they take for those? Peyote. Uh, pe not pe peyote and the other one. I can't remember the other one. Um, uh, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. ayahuasca, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about that. But everybody seems to always talk about that. And they think that uh, the indigenous folks are wearing head feather headdresses are all running around stoned out of their tree. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, do you know that none of the ceremonies I've ever seen or participated have ever evol involved anything like that? As a matter of fact, 
the Medewan teachings are completely the polar opposite of that. We can't even have honey. We're fasts. We do flesh offerings. We do a physical experience and ceremony that's completely through uh, fasting and having nothing in our bodies at all other than our own organic material. And I think it's important to stand up and say, not all Indigenous communities look like this. We don't act like that. Um, and, 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 you know, stop assuming that we're all the same. So you have to use your voice. Um, you have to be kind about it and you have to be brave about it. And so I think that's been my Indigenous experience is like really to stand up and say something because if you're, you're not going to get asked. That's really what it is. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> you, you raised so many important points there. Um, and you're talking about being bear clan woman and you really, you know, you're so strong in your, in your culture. It's really amazing and inspiring kind of getting goosebumps here, but looking at the, the potential and, yeah, I think it's that whole new wave kind of or new age, I think is what they call it, right? This kind of wave of like, yeah, shamanism and experimenting with ayahuasca or mushrooms and this and that. And sure, you know, you could point to a certain very specific <laughs> indigenous culture that may or may not, you know, have done that. Um, but I do think that in this space and on the topic of culture and on the topic of um, ceremony, especially, which is sacred and really should only be coming from people who genuinely practice the ceremony and whose culture actually comes from that ceremony, as far as I'm concerned. But to your point, a lot of people who have just adopted that culture or adopted those ceremonies like to speak on it as if they are an authority. So good for you for taking that um, brave step to, you know, speak to the importance of your cultural traditions and the fact that many Indigenous cultures do not participate in kind of intoxication of that kind. So, uh, yeah, really important points. I know you also did want to mention um, or kind of look at the uh, truth and reconciliation side of this. And I think it's an important conversation as well, right? Because I think there's a lot of maybe potentially um, ways that Web3 and NFTs could actually empower society, if not government, to maybe act on some of the truth and reconciliation recommendations. I'd love to hear your perspectives on that. And, you know, what are we falling short on? And, you know, where where is where have you seen, you know, positive momentum and how can we, you know, be part of the TRC change that's needed? Well, I don't want to get too heavily into the truth and reconciliation because it's very, very broad scope. There's a lot of impact there. Um, I would want to I wanted to tie it into some of the stuff that I've done with Web3, specifically with just um, like I think people I mean, we've talked about investing, we've talked about art. Um, but we haven't really utilized, uh, seen the utilization of blockchain, blockchain to be another network, like a news network, where things are happening daily. Um, you know, how people used to have uh, newspapers, and now we have uh, archival newspapers. So that was it. We don't have yet the archival use of blockchain technology. And so one of the things that I've done the very first piece that I minted on foundation was the genesis, was my Genesis TP. And I'll get into why um, TP to begin with, but the Genesis TP was, I, I minted, it was really important to me. Um, and it was June uh, 1st, 2021. And it was a photograph of a TP uh, that I took. Um, and it was, um, uh, sorry, it was a, uh, um, 
an homage to my mom, who is a residential school survivor, which is one of the points of the Truth and Reconciliation. Um, and she's passed away. Uh, but uh, the journey for her was really hard. And a lot of the elders and my, my, my elder communities. Um, and during that time, June um, was Canada Day uh, in 2021. And all our flags were at half mast in Canada still. They had been for months um, and without getting into all the details, it says a lot, if anybody is listening, to think of your entire country, a massive country like Canada, to have the flags at half, at half mass for months. Um, and then on Canada Day, all the ceremonies were halted. There was nothing happening because there were children's bodies that were dug up in residential schools uh, in Kamloops in British Columbia. And since then, there's been, uh, there's been more bodies that have been found. Um, and I was listening to a number of different uh, other um, uh, stories about Indigenous, their ex experience in residential school. And it's a really a traumatic experience uh, for many of us. And those are our, those are our elders. Uh, I'm second generation residential school survivor. Um, and I'm Gen X. I'm not a young person. Um, so my experience is very, very tied to what happened Um but it pushes me to the uh, to acknowledge the second point of the truth and reconciliation, which is the 60s scoop, which I mentioned I was on the class action. Mm -hmm. um, I was adopted out of my family. So there was a whole goal of without getting into like really inflammatory uh, vernacular, you know, there was a goal for um, genocide. Um, and uh, there was, we weren't allowed to use our languages. We were forced into non-Indigenous homes. Um, and we, you know, that was our, our life experience. And so, uh, the, so the class action suit is really acknowledging um, the impacts of that. And for a, a lot of us, for the second generation, 60 scoop survivors, the second generation residential school survivors, we were 60 scoop survivors. Um, and that meant we lost our language. It was forced upon us. Our families, our parents, were, our, the ch children were put into schools. They weren't allowed to speak their language. They weren't allowed to practice their ceremonies. Um, and... Um, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so 60 scoop myself, um, I was adopted out. Um, there was a lot of impacts for my family. My uh, eldest sister was adopted to the United States into a very religious family. She ended wow. up killing herself. Oh my gosh. Uh, a twin sister so is a missing murder indigenous woman. Uh, she was murdered and they came to my house on our birthday to tell me that she was murdered. Um, so um, there's a lot to unpack in the experiences of, of the, the children of those children that were in residential schools because they didn't know how to parent. They, mm -hmm. didn't, they weren't loved. They didn't know how to parent. And so this generation, my generation, had a lot. Um, and so there's a lot of um, impacts in the community uh, The third point for the truth and reconciliation is high incarceration rates. Um, so, well, actually that's the fourth one. And then uh, missing murder indigenous is, is the third one. The, and so you imagine all those children and the children, the generational impact from near cultural genocide, uh, 
it resulted in the last impact, which is uh, high incarceration rates of uh, substance abuse uh, and all the offshoots of that. So that's what the Truth and Reconciliation is addressing those four areas. Residential school survivors, 60 scoop survivors, missing murder Indigenous women, children, um, uh, and it's, girl, I can't remember the whole MMIW, uh, women and girls and two-spirit. Mm. Um, and then high incarceration rates. I've never been to jail, but maybe. No, no. <laughs> you keep pushing me. You keep pushing me, and I'll hit all four of those areas. jeez. Oh, well, thank you so much for for sharing your family history. That is sad. I'm very sorry that you know that's happened, and it's really to your point. You know, it's like you say across Canada, um, a, an issue that needs to be grappled with and rectified to the extent that we can every, you know, every individual Canadian, I think, and really humans worldwide. And you've talked about this, I think, um, in another, at another time about how, you know, you seem to get more, uh, empathy and engagement and understanding, you know, for your plight or for the plight of indigenous Canadians or indigenous North Americans in general from the audience outside of North America. Right. Um, and I think that's just really sad, unfortunately. And I feel like we need more conversations about this. The fact like you just kind of laid out so perfectly how the multi-generational impact trickle down to today. And uh, yeah, you know, and I have your first NFT on foundation up on the screen now. It's a beautiful picture of the TP in the forest. Um, it looks, you know, it's very serene and kind of powerful. And I think it speaks to the importance of culture on the blockchain, like you said, and that 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 was the reason you put that on there. And the few pieces that I have meant it also generally are kind of timestamps to me. Um, and I think one of my first was actually that same year on the Canada Day, and it was speaking to the history of colonialization. And um, I believe that was the same year that they knocked down the statue of the Queen at the legislative building, which I found to be a very kind of um, powerful, symbolic statement. You know, they were very frustrated. And it led to this kind of scenario where, of course, we don't, you know, condone um acts of vandalism or anything like that but it was very clear that you know it was all of the pent-up emotion and, and frustration from the finding of these bodies from the way that missing and murdered indigenous women had been treated you know until recently you know trying to push back on the idea that it's all connected and yeah it's just a whole lot and thank you for for sharing and bringing that up i think it's very important and um i do see the potential like you say um you brought up the idea of a blockchain news network i think we got to coin that if it's not already <laughs> that's an amazing idea but I love the idea of using blockchain to tell these stories that need to be told and knowing that nobody can censor you, knowing that, you know, people, you can just point people towards your NFT and it can tell that story, you know? So here's hoping that that becomes more of a commonplace thing to do and that, you know, putting impactful and necessary um, stories and culturally profound, you know, um, pieces in time on the blockchain can have the um desired effect of really pushing society forward right speaking to social sustainability like you said you know it's not all about environmental sustainability and carbon taxes or credits and all this the social sustainability you know finding a way to create more opportunities for indigenous communities for impacted communities um, is everything you know and so when i hear people trying to push off sustainability or even esg um, i think it's important to bring it back to actual cultural uh, real world, you know, grassroots impact. And I do believe and I know that Web3 and NFTs can have a huge role to play in this um, in making this more commonplace. Um, and we spoke to Raven Dave, who's all you know, he's he's banging that drum of sustainability often. Um, 
and has some really cool sustainability connected uh, projects. They're looking more on like the ocean, you know, um, cleaning the oceans and things like that. But to your point about the social sustainability, I, I think there's a lot of um, avenues for for real social change on the blockchain. So without diving too much further into that, I, I just want to thank you again for, you know, sharing your story and um, really calling on people to take blockchain into your own hands, I think, and really use it for profound um, storytelling or not even stories, but actual, you know, factual things that happen in in time and and share that story for so that it cannot be lost, you know. Um, and on the topic of languages, because I know you just mentioned how, you know, during the 60s scoop, during the residential schools, they were basically culturally genocide, like trying to take away the culture and destroy the culture. So that's why I agree with the term cultural genocide for sure. Um, there's no question that that's what they were trying to do, right? So when you look at the language and you look at the ability, you know, we have slowly seen elders teaching, you know, the seventh generation or this generation that's coming up, you know, the languages and trying to make sure we can preserve them. Do you think that blockchain and Web3 can play an important role in preserving these languages that are at risk of, of being lost? Hmm. Well, just one thing that I'd like to say uh, before we go to that was um, just back to the journalism aspect, because um, I think it's important to understand the healing journey is really important. Um, so acknowledging something, I think, is, is, the, is, is the most interactive and responsible way that people can connect with each other. So the Pope came to Canada and offered an apology. And on that date, I, I put up a video on Zora, which is, I think it's really creative to me. And it's, uh, it's, some things don't even, I don't think about things. They just happen the way they are. They just kind of appear. So there was a, a video I have of a teepee, uh, and I'm doing a panning teepee. It's a beautiful spring day. And um, there is a, this sound. It's almost sounds like a, a, a church bell. Uh, so I did this little small video and I, I, I put that on Zora and I, on this day, uh, it's called on this day. And, um, it, it's a quote from the, the direct quote from the Pope apologizing for their, their, the sense of responsibility with, uh, regard to the priests and the nuns, um, that, uh, had their share, uh, that were running those residential schools. And so that apology came. And it's not really something you can put a price on, right? It just needs to be said. Uh, you need to acknowledge it. And so I acknowledged it on the blockchain. Um, and it's interesting because it's not something I can tweet. It's not something. And it's really interesting because originally the, a lot of the questions are like, do people actually want to hear about Indigenous truth, uh, the truth of our experience? And I think there's a lot of shame. And there is other people. It's really interesting. People in this space will often speak about the indigenous story. They'll photograph it. They'll tell it. But one of the things I've said from the very beginning is we tell our own stories and I'm tired of having other people tell our stories and using that to prop up like that. There's some meritous credit to their, to their, their good naturedness. Um, it's, we have our own stories instead of 
uh, utilizing that. I think there should be more emphasis on people uh, lifting up and holding space for those individuals and, and inviting people to be part of the conversation. And, and I just don't see that yet. And it's really, it speaks volumes about the need for social change. Um, it speaks volumes about Canada and it speaks volumes about the Americans uh, that actually, I'm going to say it because it makes me upset because you did ask me, uh, and I did have a conversation where I said, I'm actually celebrated outside of North America more than I am in Canada and the United States. I am. I see a lot more emphasis on uh, diversity uh, of uh, diversity in Canada and the United States that excludes the original peoples. It doesn't, the original peoples of United States and Canada, especially in the north of the United States and, and uh, the north of Canada here, all of Canada, hmm. excludes the indigenous original peoples, and I see it repeatedly over and over and over again. And if you take a close look at you will as well. So I find that extremely frustrating to be celebrated by Asian communities, to be celebrated by European communities, to be celebrated by, you know, even Latin American communities more so than I do by, you know, people that are intelligent, uh, up to date on on social issues and, and and things like that that still exclude the indigenous First Nations uh, of Turtle Island and um, that's a fact you can you can spend all day in a Twitter space and you'll see especially go to a green space go to somewhere where somebody's talking about refi mm. you know how many times they talk about indigenous communities well <laughs> literally having no indigenous person indigenous on their stage run. yeah why are we creating more refi spaces so dis disseminating and, and dispersing the resources when there's actually so this is really really important because you can talk about all of the different options that we have, right? Like as far as, uh, you know, what we're going to do for sustainability, you can talk about those. But if you looked at my Twitter profile, it says up there that I am an advocate for changing cultural biases in data, tech and science. And what I mean by that is in science. I went uh, as an environmental uh, science graduate going through all the same courses. So I need to explain this so people understand. Um, it wasn't a course that was dumbed down for Indigenous folks. It was actually triple the course for regular that regular folks took. So it was a course of environment. It was environmental science through University of Manitoba, and it was uh, through the uh, the Assembly of First Nations uh, in Canada. And um, so we were required to take a regular course say, uh, biophysical impact assessment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Great course. <laughs> so you take that, uh, and then we had a Western science, a, a man or a woman that went through the Western science uh, that didn't have any Indigenous uh, 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 self-identity, right? They didn't, they, they would just, they went through the course. They, they didn't identify in any ways Indigenous. Then we had an Indigenous professor that went through the whole course that had that was identifying as an indigenous person. And then we had an elder and the courses were, and it was three courses and three exams for every single course through that whole entire environmental science curriculum. So we had three exams. It was massive, a lot of learning. Um, and a lot of the time we actually were on site and away from home for weeks at a time. So, cause we went to like ELA experimental lakes area and things like that. We went to the tar sands, uh, which was really something that stuck in my mind. Hmm. Uh, so we, the whole point was that we uh, experienced um, understanding uh, environmental impacts. What are proponents doing? Uh, what are the impacts? But for me, there was also understanding policy. 
understanding what are the regulations, what is what what are the metrics, what is the data that we're collecting, right? So my focus was on traditional environmental knowledge, meaning I really wanted to understand what is the knowledge of the people of the land. Because you can create data, what's safe and what's not, but based on what? What's your baseline? So understanding scientific baseline is really important. Understanding data points and baseline is really, really massively important. And pretty much anything in any conversation, in anything, anywhere, people just don't really understand it, but it is. What is what are you basing your information on? Yeah. So traditional knowledge, we want to get into conversations about uh, about eco sustainability, greens. You want to talk about anything, anything like that, understanding what is your true baseline. The true baseline for me, I have to say, is understanding and collecting information from the original people, Sarah, because they're the ones that would know what it was like and what's changed. So they're, it's not meant to replace scientific baseline studies because we still need those. Mm -hmm. What it's meant is for us to have a pinpoint understand if something is toxic, it's toxic. You know, you can say, uh, they could say, it's interesting that we're here and we're doing water quality. I did my, my uh, study was on water quality assessment through traditional environmental knowledge in the tar sands. So it's mm -hmm. deemed safe there. But the indigenous folks that have been there for you know thousands of years are saying, isn't it interesting that we have cancerous fish when we go fishing now? We have cancerous children. We are developing cancer in our communities. But the data is saying, the scientific data is saying the levels are safe. Yeah. But at what cost? And so the point is that our data are, are, we have to understand that over 100 years uh, of uh, impact, it takes a hundred years for you to know <laughs> that there's a problem, right? And, and, and who's defining yet. safe, right? Quote unquote safe, you know? So anyways, my point is that those indigenous communities understanding, uh, and those, those communities aren't going to just talk to anybody, right? We, we have to understand um, that they need community members. So you need right. indigenous communities representing indigenous communities, not non-indigenous communities representing indigenous communities. And that's a very simple, basic fact. It's an honoring and it's a recognition and it's also um, elevating uh, and urging uh, indigenous communities that have, have been hugely impacted to pursue post-secondary education. And it's absolutely essential that we elevate our community so much that we have uh, a lot more representation of post-secondary indigenous graduates. And that's my goal of really trying to there is much more that we can do when we talk about what are we doing with sustainability. Uh, we need those voices to succeed. We need them present and we need them to be reaching the professional standards with total support. And that's what Canada needs to do in any, uh, in any community does. Um, the other thing that I'd like to say as far as international community is it's not just about it. I can only speak from my own experience, but there are people that have their own experiences. I have friends that are in Asia uh, there's, uh, you know, understanding even just projects that are bringing forth information. There was, uh, I was minted part of the Korea, I can't remember the term, I'm so bad with right now, but it just occurred to me. And they were talking about the, they minted a series for South Korea, uh, who was also colonialized and impacted, and that there was a date. Um, and so understanding that the experiences around the world in Iran, our friends in Iran, our friends in Ukraine. Um, we need to be responsive as much as we do, as, as much as we say that we're going to carbon offset 
What about being responsive to uh, communities in crises because of the environment? That has to be of equal measure, if not. And I would say, and I said this as far as uh, any goals that I would have as a sustainability officer would be that what are, what are we doing to be responsive to Im- environmental impact that are currently in crises? Uh, that's a, that's something that any community project should do. So anyways, I think I'm rambling now. No, it's amazing. <laughs> and I think... Um... The environmental impacts, but then also social impacts, right? Like you just mentioned Iran and Ukraine, which are two examples where, you know, um, it's a mess, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. And I, when you say our friends in, in Iran and Ukraine and South Korea, like these are people you genuinely talk to probably like a weekly basis, right? Like this is the thing about Web3 and, and the global um, space. You know, we have the opportunity, like if we hear from an artist who's in Ukraine struggling, their community's being bombed and they still have this access to sell NFTs. And when you buy their NFT, you know, you're actually helping them, you know, travel away out of Ukraine or put food on the table for their kids or move into a safer corner of the country, whatever the case might be, you know, like these are real world, you know, impacts on the ground that can happen. Or in Iran, you know, I bought an uh, an NFT from an Iranian American who had put out this beautiful video about ballet in Iran and the fact that ballet had basically been outlawed in Iran and they had amazing ballet dancers who are still amazing to this day. You know, some of them actually were around when the Ayatollah or, you know, whoever took over um, and it became outlawed. Right. But now they've put together this beautiful NFT showcasing both young, you know, Iranian girls who are obviously not in Iran, but are, you know, ballet dancers, as well as those who were impacted directly by the outlawing of ballet and telling their whole story, showing the beauty of their culture in a beautiful video on the blockchain as an NFT. And that's just an example, right? So when I buy that, I know I'm not only buying a beautiful piece of art, but I'm supporting that Iranian uh, lady's mission to really raise awareness and to give back to these artists who are struggling now, right? So those are just two examples. But I think um, the environmental impact is one, but I think the social impact is another one. And, you know, it's all part of the ESG kind of umbrella, right? And I'm just glad we were able to kind of speak to dispelling some of the myths around ESG, frankly, because there is a need for better social sustainability. There is a need for better environmental sustainability. And nobody can deny that. And I do think Web3 and NFTs, we've seen it I know, you know, directly can help with social sustainability and environmental sustainability. Thank you. Really important point. I think we've hit that home. So if if people can take anything from this episode, it's uh, the importance of sustainability and the fact that it is an ongoing struggle um, and also the importance of representation. I think that was a really great point that you brought up, uh, TP. And I think that it's an ongoing struggle, unfortunately. And even myself, you know, I I don't even like the word ally because I think we're all just humans and we should just, you know, be supportive supporting other humans. So, um, but I do definitely, you know, like I said, my first NFT I ever minted, I thought that the, the, the toppling of the queen statue, which still hasn't gone up by the way, like two, three years later, which I support, let's put up, you know, maybe an indigenous leader. We have Louis Riel, but he's in the back of the legislature, you know, maybe we move him up to the front, get rid of the monarchy altogether, but you know, (laughs) we'll see what happens. But the point is, I just found that as a very impactful, um, historical event that happened, you know? And so Though I do not have indigenous blood, um, I took it upon myself to go, you know, take pictures of that happening, put my own perspective of it on the blockchain, speaking to the, you know, 
pain and struggle and really horrible history of colonialism in Canada, but also putting it in that modern context of, you know, how are we making this better? How can we advocate and how can we support, you know, these young people who came out, expressed their frustration? Some of them maybe took it too far, um, but ultimately it was still a genuine, passionate display of let's change things, you know, and I hope that the lesson has come through. Um, and I, I guess where I was going with that is I do, I did feel a little bit of like, to your point, you know, it's not necessarily my story to tell as far as the wrongdoing of colonialization and, and the situation impacting indigenous Canadians. But at the same time, as a Canadian, as someone who wants to th see things, you know, change for the better, I still felt it as a, you know, important story to tell from my own perspective. Um, but I, I don't know what's the right way for someone like myself and for others who want to keep, you know, raising awareness and continue to, you know, um, voice, give voice to everything you've just described, you know, outside of definitely, you know, raising voices like yours and other indigenous voices directly um, and putting them on stage and making sure that they are invited to anytime, you know, sustainability conversations are happening, social improvements conversations are happening. Definitely, you know, making sure we can have you front and center. Um, but outside of that, you know, how does someone like myself who wants to use NFTs to raise awareness, what's the best way for us to kind of navigate and while still, you know, making sure we're respectful to Indigenous voices? Hmm. So one of the things that I think is really important um, is empathy and compassion. And I think to do that, it's, it's a two-way, recognizing that it's forward-facing and inward-facing. Um, and so by understanding who we are ourselves and giving power to ourselves, being kind and being brave to ourselves, we are being kind and being brave to other people. Um, and so, like I said, this, the very beginning, um, of my journey was, I just, I kind of came into the space thinking I never want anybody to feel the way that I felt. Um, and I don't think I'm an island unto myself. And I don't think uh, the Indigenous Canadians and Americans and Latin Americans, and we're not islands. We have our own kind of experience, but it's all very similar. Um, and so we have battles. I, I, my experience in Web3 was, you know, I was talking to uh, some different friends around the world and uh, understanding some things I would never experience with gunfire. You know, I was, we're talking, I had one conversation with somebody. Uh, it was in a clubhouse room and it was uh, a conversation. We were just kind of hanging out. We called them work alongs. And uh, my friend was in Iraq and we we're just talking about weather. And we're like, oh, it's really hot there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little popsicle in the north here. I don't, <laughs> I'd never survive in the heat. Uh, I said, so what was the hottest day you've ever had? And he said, uh, my friend Hater said, um, oh, the hottest day was actually one of my worst days ever. It was like 50 degrees. And he said he was he was trying, to, his dad had had a heart attack in the heat. And they were oh, trying no. to get him to the hospital. Uh, and they were running between buildings and dodging bullets. And I was just like, you know, I just, that makes me pause. My life experience, you know, has been full of, of all kinds of uh, trauma, very real trauma, um, very real experiences. Uh, most of it happened in my childhood and I, I grew up. I literally had to grow up out of it and, and survive and put that in the past and keep it there. Um, and my experience right now 
is something I've never experienced anything like my friend Hader did, uh, what the experiences of our friends when there was the, the earthquake in Turkey, you know, uh, the experiences of, of our friends in Ukraine, uh, the experience of, the, of uh, hangings and beheading of Mahasa with our friends in Iran. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on. We think about our Africa, you know, the communities in Africa with you know travel. Uh, um, there's just a lot going on around the world, um, and I don't think that it's my. Uh, I, I just I really don't want people to to. Okay, what I'm trying to say is, the I think we owe it to ourselves to understand who we each are. We have to, I started a series uh, and it was called Our Journeys Back Home. Uh, and back to the point about the truth and reconciliation and colonial impacts and impacts in general. I think one of the experiences that I had in this conversation of, uh, you know, now three, you know, um, year three in Web3 talking to international communities is that everybody's experiencing something that I've never experienced either, but we're all coming from the same kind of vessel of, of, of being humans, you know, very vulnerable, uh, trying to survive a lot of different kinds of impacts, either just because we're, we're seeing it, we're hearing about it. And there's a lot of empathetic souls out there that we like as creatives are trying to figure it all out. Right. right? So some of us are like, Holy moly, that's a lot. Um, I've heard all kinds of different kinds of words I've never heard before. I'm social media. I heard things like trauma dumping. I'm like, if people are ex- sharing their experiencing and you you neutralize that by using a term called trauma dumping, I, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that. I think that's a completely lack of empathy. Right. Um, and I could understand people, you know, we know, we know, we get flags. We're all pretty intelligent people. I, I give us all credit. <laughs> <laughs> but the TP, uh, our, our journeys back home was, I think people need to understand who they are or where they come from. I do believe 100%. Actually, in this conversation with Trevor Jones yesterday, he was talking about in mental health, health and AI. So this might be a good segue to AI afterwards. Yeah. But um, and TP5 and my indigenous futurism. Mm-hmm. But the uh, what he said yesterday, he's like, it's really interesting because he was talking about mental health, and he said, you know, in hospitals, you know, putting IKEA art on the walls isn't isn't going to help. Uh, communities and you know those 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 ill communities people that are ill in the hospital it should be pictures of their where they are from like what their locations are that that's really interesting that's why i went up also because literally he said uh, he needed to hear something optimistic and i'm <laughs> cheerful optimist it's the only way i survived nice. <laughs> is by being a cheerful optimist and so i went up and i shared that he was completely right on point about understanding where where you're from and so people, I think, are so displaced. Maybe the reason why, instead of being accusatory for me of just pointing a finger and saying, how come Canadians and Americans are like this mixing pot of different people that uh, don't respect the Indigenous community, I would say that, you know, having a, having, um, a real understanding of who you are, where you come from, uh, People, I think, are very sad. You look at the, and I said this in our TP Tuesdays, quite often we talked about the fact that there's a lot of, um, uh, um, what do they call those homes? Um, palliative care. You mm. know, uh, we put our elders in, in communities, uh, in community homes away from us. Mm. And um, that's a disconnect. 
from our history and our lineage. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of apathy uh, and disconnect from, from who you are because you're willing to do that. Um, and I could understand if there was medicinal reasons, you know, there's, you know, healthcare is a concern, mm. but more often than not, it's not. It's just that people are too busy to mm. really value. <laughs> too busy. So, you don't want to have them living thing. in their house or yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> so but, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's not a judgment on people. I just think people need to know where they come from, because if you don't know where you come from, you don't value that. Why would you value it from somebody coming from somebody else? So when you ask a question, what could people do better? I would say learn your culture because culture is very important. Mm. It, it affects us in a lot of different ways. It's literally, they said this uh, in a lot of different studies. We talked about the generational impact, but they, they say you have uh, cultural trauma that can pa be passed through our DNA. And so why would we focus on just the trauma? If the trauma can be passed, so can the joy and the celebration and the right. dance and the music. And it's there. If I played a drum beat right now, if I played... Uh, one of our, our drums, you know how many people would be close to tears? They would feel something, right? Mm -hmm. They would feel it. Um, and you pay, people play bagpipes at, at you know, uh, at funerals. And there's just things that are tied genetically to us. And I think joy is one of them. And so is trauma. And so you need to understand. You need to turn yourself in, inside, understand where you came from. Um, and we are made up of the things that are in our sky and the ground and our water. And that's our indigenous beliefs. We're literally made up of those things. The that's ceremonies, it. the clan systems, all of that is tied to our land. We have portals to new universes. <laughs> literally, I saw those when I was doing my environmental impact assessment, uh, uh, being uh, taken on a boat to ceremonial sites where they're doorways to another universe. There you so, go. Right then, right there is my perfect segue to what is TPFI and Indigenous Futurism? <laughs> Let's go. We got these, you got these beautiful TPFI NFTs on the screen right now. Um, the ones on object.com specifically. And to your point also about um, kind of converging it with uh, AI and artificial intelligence and um, GAN uh, art and really just uh, it's a beautiful mashup. So, yes, please share a little bit of the inspirations behind TPFI um, and, and how you pull them together. Um, also, the actual construction of them because it's it's something else thank you <laughs> oh god this is this is a lot this is a lot <laughs> inside on my outside holy moly uh okay so i, I took a little note of something and i realized something today and i didn't realize it before but um so when i was a kiddo um there was a lot of going back and forth from i'm, I'm from a remote flying community called saint Teresa point first nation um, which is remote fly-in or uh, ice roads. Only northern people understand what ice roads are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with St. Teresa Point and ice roads, yeah, but I have not had go. the, <laughs> haven't been able to do it myself yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm scared. I was like, no way. I did a food drive for my community. I was like, you know, I'm going to have to drive across the ice road. I was terrified. Mm. But anyways, uh, so my point is um, the, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So in my childhood, uh, uh, there was a lot, again, I talked about the impacts of the residential schools and, and, and on, on that generation growing up without proper parenting, because they were literally in schools and not being raised by families with love and nurture. So then they were of like extreme trauma and abuse of those residential schools, right? So my mom was that person. And so was, uh, you know, victim of substance abuse and, and, uh, a lot of different things. It took a lot for her to journey back to healing. 
And so that meant as a child, I went through a lot um, up and down going to the First Nation, but also in literally the hardcore inner, I, I, only you would know this probably as a Manitoba, Winnipegan, <laughs> Winnipegan, <laughs> the uh, corner of Higgins and Maine used to have a hotel. Yeah. And I lived in that hotel. Uh, and then I lived up north, and it's like the most hardcore. Hard now, ironically, there's a roundhouse there. Out of all of the places in the whole wide world mm-hmm. that they built a roundhouse, is one of the places that I live which had the most impact. So there's a ceremony. A roundhouse is a ceremonial place, uh, and that building is gone, and now there's a roundhouse there. So I always think that there's some sort of magic happening. There's a I don't know if everybody's pigments of my imagination or what, but now there's a roundhouse there. There's my healing. There you go. <laughs> you know, right? I think you weren't the only one to have some uh, lived experiences at that corner that they decided to replace with a, a more oh, no. healing space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, of course not. No, no. <laughs> Anyways, it's still like, the, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Higgins and Main Street is like one of the most harshest areas uh, of the inner city in, in, in um, it's well known. Yeah, it's uh, only in- 10 minutes north of me right here. <laughs> I'm downtown Winnipeg, <laughs> so it's not very far from where I'm at right now, for sure. And it is, uh, unfortunately, one of the rougher areas. And even that roundhouse, actually, I think is kind of fallen a little bit behind uh, on the repairs and they're under renovation now so but yeah it, uh, i actually one of the few um experiences i had with a sweat lodge was at the lodge at that space so it, there is a lot of healing that happens there as well for sure but it's a rough area yeah so yeah anyways my point simply was that uh the experience for me was that i was living really far up north uh, with my grandfather going on canoe rides and this you know being in this completely serene environment and then being teleported to hell in the middle of Higgins and Main Street and back and forth my experience was really really rough and then um, got put up for adoption Um, and I was asked if I wanted to be adopted and I said yes and uh, I was only five and um, my so like the experience before then was that that I had even just a lot of ad- adulting, like adult questions being forced upon me. And I was a, like a nurturer, a caregiver. I think anybody in these uh, cy- abusive cycles, you, you start, you grow up really fast, right? You're very, uh, very careful and you're very, uh, yeah. So um, the, even my siblings at that time, they all said that what they would do what I said we would do. And I said, we all need to get put up for adoption. It was really crazy. Um, so anyways, we ended up in foster care, all separated. Um, my twin sister came with me to one place. And during that time, the difference between my twin sister and I was um, she was a, a person that took things. She was really brave to the point where she would like get hit all the time. She would just be front and center. You know what I mean? I don't know how to describe that. Yeah. And I was, I was a hider uh, and a hider, not a chicken, not chicken, but I just always believed in staying below the radar. So you can see quite the contrast between who I am now and who I was then. Mm. Um, but they are the same person. So I used to hide. I would be invisible I literally spent my time being invisible and I would hide under the coffee table and I would hide in the corner and I would hide, I would literally hide on my bed, make the bed over top of me and pretend that I wasn't thinking that nobody could see me. <laughs> I'd be like invisible. I'm not here. Uh, and my sister always, and they ended up taking her out of there because they started uh, uh, physically abusing her too. So, you know, there was a reason why I was hiding all the time. So, 
um, that place was quite a terrible place. At the same time, they would say things like, you're a dirty little Indian that nobody would ever love. Oh my gosh. You're hearing that kind of stuff. So I knew to be invisible. Um, but what ended up happening was that, um, and I just realized this, I, I took a note of something I wanted to say, because this is an important part of the journey for TP5, which was uh, um, in that house, I realized up until that point, we didn't have television. I'd never watched television. I'd never read a book. And I've never listened to music. I'd never listened to the radio or anything like that. And I remember Boney M was playing Rasputin uh, and the foster sister had it playing on the clock radio in her room. This is the 70s, by the way. Classic tune, classic tune. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Rah, rah, Rasputin was on. And it was literally when it was released on radio. So that speaks to something. But Mm. (laughs) anyways, uh, I hadn't listened to anything. So I was like already seven I was only seven but the first time I actually saw television and read and listened to the radio and listened to music and read books and stuff like that so I became quite a nerd um I used to hide under the tele the coffee table and I would watch space 1999 and star trek um and I just totally knew that if I did made a peep they would send me to bed of course so um I would hide out um so tp5 is literally um and you know, it's that journey of healing, uh, uh, being that person. Um, it's I have a love of science fiction. I always have. I saw Ursula uh, went to in BC. Ursula Le Guin was speaking a woman in science fiction writers. Uh, when was that? That was like 1980s. It was like I went. I was tree planting at that time on the West Coast, listening to grunge, going to see Pearl Jam and all the nice. <laughs> all the bands. That Nirvana <laughs> hadn't released Nevermind yet. I remember wow. getting it on cassette and going tree planting when it was released. That was wicked. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, my whole TP5 experience and art experience is music related and science fiction related and. You know, when I first got adopted, um, which I did, so people did end up, we proved those foster parents wrong. People did love me. <laughs> so there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but I would sit in a tree and I would read, uh, I would read books. And that's what I did. I was such a little, um, little tomboy type person. That's I guess cool. that's not, that's changed now how that's all turned. But um at that time, I had I was adopted to a family of five older brothers, so very well taken care of. <laughs> cool. So the sci-fi resonated. It definitely comes through. I see some. <laughs> I see some themes of maybe cyberpunk and like different kind of, yeah, you know, uh, space related imagery. Um, so how how does the AI tool kind of um, come into play with this, right? And how? What is the actual um, function of pulling it together? Like, are you, would you call yourself a quote unquote prompt engineer? Or <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm honestly a little bit um, arm's length away from the AI conversation. I'm not going to lie. Like when it kind of rushed into the scene and everyone, it was the new shiny thing, right? I didn't quite follow the new shiny thing. I'd just been like head down, Web3, NFTs, crypto. Um, but I am very interested in it. And I think some like yours, um, Ice Nuikwe is another guy who's made some really amazing um, combination of indigenous or um, African indigenous art, you could say, or um, culturally Nigerian art and combined it with AI. And so it's kind of cool. So when I do see the art that has AI 
use. Um, I always like to see like, what's the purpose of the AI use? Like, are you just throwing words into a thing and making something cool, which is cool, you know, power to you. Um, or is there like a kind of deeper meaning and you're actually trying to, you know, use the AI to add kind of an emphasis on um, a kind of theme that you're trying to launch. So it looks like there's a very obvious theme with indigenous futurism, which is very cool. Um, and I don't see anyone else doing it. So you're really carving out a, a real new path here. So how does the actual AI integration come into it? And, and how do you see that tool? How do you view it? Oh, it's such an interesting journey. Okay. So like the somebody i just i've seen every single i i my favorite genre of film and music and I, I, that whole experience is is post-apocalyptic dystopian um and i think it's i've done a little bit i, I did a little bit of research because somebody asked me at one point um i think it was only just a few months ago asked me about indigenous futurism and they said they hadn't seen it and i said i haven't either um but i've been using the hashtag already for like a year and a half uh, with all my TP5. And it's really important to me to do it. So I feel like, you know, I feel like, again, to signal it, because earlier we've had a conversation about, you know, how do you signal these, these things out there? I said, well, if you're creating something new, you have to signal it, right? You have to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about being uh, being responsive to my trauma experience of colonial impact. Um, and so it's important. And so the earlier conversations with AI, were about language. So again, to tie in all of the conversation that you and I've had today, which was like, how are we doing? How are we being relevant? How are we utilizing the technology uh, uh, to, you know, establish the culture of our, our each individual culture? For me, it's very important. And I think it should be as important to anybody as it is to me. So it's not that I I have, uh, I, I'm signaling more. I just think people should signal as well. <laughs> I just think sure. that they should. <laughs> Claim your space, some... right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's nothing wrong with me. Sorry that you don't want to, but that's your business. So yeah, yeah. It's not a feeling. Uh, but anyways, so it's important for me to signal that there is, that I'm part of the conversation um, and I will uh, do so um, with honor and pride and dignity. I think it's important. So the conversation was, uh, is language. So bringing language in all the pieces I've ever created have OG Cree, uh, hashtags have, uh, Cree hashtags have Cree in them, have, uh, Cree syllabics in them. Um, every single piece, whether or not it's TP fire photography or film. Um, and so the whole, th- my whole belief is that we tell our own stories. Uh, and I think that's important for anybody on whatever point of the planet you're standing on, or even in space, because again, we have doorways to the other universes, if you remember. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, the, the conversation originally started with, oh, people were really upset. This is before I got into art. So people were, I'm really into tech. I've always been into tech. I did Girls Who Code for years. Uh, I did, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mother Earth Recycling. It sounds like you're close to the inner city there, but Mother Earth Recycling way back when, like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of work with inner city youth and brought kids off the street and, and things like that. And I volunteered with them. I did their website way back when. Um, nice. And so volunteerism. Um, so I've always been into tech Uh e-waste all the work i've created i don't have any new computers i've literally that original genesis tp that i mentioned is the if you go to my twitter profile is the piece that i created which is 100 meters on e-waste on photoshop 7 
that computer that I made that was in the snow only like three months before at the e-waste recycling plant. I refurbished it, set it up, made a piece, installed Photoshop 7. (laughs) (laughs) And I did that piece, which is in Times Square. And I said at the very beginning, I'm putting teepees up in Times Square. And I did. Thanks to Young and Vizmish. (laughs) So I teep three teepees. And I I forgot to say this, but the three teepee that I have there is, it means community um, and three TPs. Uh, literally, NFTP came from, I was, it was before I started the Creators Co-op, I think. Um, I literally was going to bed and I sat up and I bolted straight up in my bed and said, NFTP. And I literally ran to my computer, went and did a domain search on Go GoDaddy and bought the domain NF, uh, nftp uh, nice. and then i was nftp after that i set up a twitter account and everything like that so a tp in cree means equal so mm. to all of my point about that we're all equal tp and cree means equal we are all e- equal i say you're tp i am tp we're all tp uh mm. so it's really important to me to use tps in my work um and it means everything to me it's entirely my brand um, and all about everything I do with sustainability, with language, with cultural identity, with international community. Um, and so we're all TP and I just love it. So TP5 is, is the healing journey. So back to Sheila and art is healing. Um, it's definitely healing for me. It's my journey from being that child that was under the coffee table watching Space 1999 being told nobody will ever love me. I'm like, it's my total defiance, punk rock. Yes, it is. And also to not be a stereotype as a vegan. I walk my path. I walk my talk. And uh, so for me, I like to use uh, technology, especially technology. I don't use the newest tech. I don't, I can't, one, I simply can't afford it. Two, uh, I don't want to uh, upgrade all my tech to to be relevant in space. It's uh, it's funny because I think people are now getting into old tech, like old glitches, all this old tech. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I love me some pixel art, you know, love the pixel art. It doesn't take long. Well, if you never went all the way to the other end. <laughs> then uh, uh, you know who needs new tech and i feel like you know when we talk about technology and we talk about uh the use of uh these electronics and the replacement the lifespan of electronics people are so the bright new shiny thing right you even said it yourself a moment ago the bright new shiny thing i'm like no i don't believe in it i think we can create uh and, and utilize what we have being the the original learner of tech um, everything evolves, it devolves, it evolves, it has this, these little cycles, right? So um, one of the most important aspects of TP5, which is Indigenous Futurism, is the idea that because of colonial impacts, a lot of Indigenous communities, and Indigenous isn't just, nor, uh, just to be clear, I am an advocate for international community, 100%. I don't like to to be put into corners where I'm speaking about Indigenous community from my own little box. I don't believe in that. I never have. I never will. Uh, There are, you know, 450 million self-identifying Indigenous community members in over 90 different countries. I am one voice and I don't represent anybody else but myself. So um, it's really important to say when I talk about Indigenous uh, TP5, Indigenous futurism, 
the impacts of a lot of those communities is that uh, they're each one of the communities that has impact, it has suffered their own little uh, dystopian post-apocalyptic <laughs> genocide of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. So when we have creative things like that, uh, like cyberpunk, we were talking about cyberpunk. You mentioned cyberpunk. Yeah, I mentioned that's just not, the purple and the blues and the yeah, and I think that that's not yeah. yeah. So some people think that that is you know. Uh, there's always this this issue for me that I think about with with AI. And it's borderline. There's, you know, I don't like the word cultural appropriation, but it's a fact. In this space, there are people that are non-Indigenous that are painting stereotypes of Indigenous people. One guy made over 90 ETH last year selling Indigenous stereotypes of warriors, and he's non-Indigenous. Matter of fact, he was insulted when somebody asked him if he was Indigenous and said, I don't look Indigenous, do I? And I was like, what? Uh, Anyways. (laughs) It's just a disappointment, really. So I like I'm going to go the opposite way. As a vegan, I don't wear feathers. I never would be a chief with feathers in my hair. So why would I paint myself that? I go to my teachings, I go to ceremony, um, and I don't look like what you would think other people look like. And I think it's setting up our our youth for for disappointment when they think that by going to a ceremony they're going to end up with a giant headdress. You know, it's just not real. Right. But when we get to like different cultures and the response to impact, right, their experiences, we get really, really incredible art that looks very, you know, the whole glitch art movement is really cool uh, with old tech. Um, I love the cyberpunk. The what's the other one? Solar punk yeah. is really cool. I do like a mix of all of these things. Um, I really like to explore TP5 is, is alternate worlds and alternate realities. And so TP5 is short for science fiction. It's TP science fiction. So it's TP5, <laughs> which is my brand of science fiction. Nice. And I love it. Uh, and I explore everything there. I think we should. Um, it is a pushback in society. Um, and that's, to me, what being a punk rocker, OG punk rocker from back in the day is about standing up, being an activist. Um, it ties in. I love very much so that I, I'm a, I do Cube of Truth, which is vegan activism. Um, and you wear an anonymous mask and you hold up a, a video screen. And uh, so I've been part of the Cube of Nui Blanche. I think, I don't know if you've seen those pictures, David, uh, in, the, so. in the city, um, uh, Old Market Square. But okay. uh, yeah. And, I'll have to check uh, them out. Yeah, and you don't say anything. So I don't speak. I just it's there, and it's it's called. You hold up a monitor, and it says just truth. So it's just looking at truth, and I don't say anything. You can look if you want to look. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but art is like that, right? So, anyways, I just think that we have this ability through art to be activists in different ways, um, and. I like the idea and I would encourage other people that feel like you have to have this brand that's exactly the same and your work has to look the same and you have to market it and you have to do that. I am completely opposite of that. I do not want that. I don't encourage it. Why would you limit yourself to a certain style when you can do everything under the sun and if people don't want it, then that's fine because art is healing. And so for me, it's a healing journey. TP5 is 100% about full exploration of all different kinds. Um, And I keep it to my own subject, though, like which is teepees uh, and my perspective. Um, The other thing you asked about, the AI prompting, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you do training, um, meaning I, I pretty much my my anytime I generate anything, it's either from the from from my own photography pieces of TP or myself, like my faces. <laughs> my face, okay. like the piece yesterday was my face. <laughs> was this, was the piece that uh, I sent you for? Uh, it was actually that piece that I sent you that I edited the black and white. Mm. And then anyway, that's currently on my socials right now. <laughs> yeah, we got it on the screen here for your your <laughs> interview as well. It's a beautiful picture. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's just really fun. I just think people uh, that I really wanted to write. This, this is it. I really wanted to write. I've done. I went to. Um, I participated in the. Uh, Oh God! What's the name of the guy that was the screenwriter for Jaws? Oh God, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. I feel like I should know, but anyway. <laughs> anyway. So I went to that. I went yeah. to the to the workshop with him, and because um, I I did mention I'm a member of the Directors Guild of uh, Permittee for IATSE and Permittee for Directors Guild of Canada, meaning that um, that I'm learning those things and taking on roles there. So. Um, I've been really wanting to write and do some filmmaking. That's ultimately my goal. And all of my TP5 and my journey in Web3 is building the knowledge base for where and when I'm going to, one, drop a TP token, just an FYI. And what am I going to do with that token and what's the utility is really important to me. And so understanding uh, what that is and how, what the artwork is going to be and what, you know, it's all building up to something. But I also wanted to tell my own story a bit more as a writer and a screenwriter being uh, in the space. So um, all of it's going to come down to like TP5, what is Web3, all of the things that we talked about as far as sustainability. It's all part of like this amalgamation of identity. And um, yeah. I love <laughs> it. You know, you're, you're standing in your truth. You know, everything, it just kind of shines out through all the different creative ventures that you've taken. Um, I have so many questions for you, but I know we've hit this 90 minute mark and I want to respect your time. We might have to have you back for a part two. Um, but looking at these these TP files, wondering how do you decide which ones are going to be kind of multiple editions versus the one of ones, you know, because they're all so beautiful. Is it just kind of random or do you, you know, you have specific purposes behind, you you know, having multiple editions versus a one of one um, when you're minting these NFTs. So the okay, we did. Uh, there's one thing we didn't talk about, which we should talk about, is that a multi-chain. Yeah, but definitely. <laughs> so there is something to be said. Okay, I love, I love the very beginning of the journey. Um, if you looked at my going going to my Tezos collection on object, mm-hmm. there's a whole long history of different kinds of TB5. You can see they how they evolve. Right from what we had in um, in the beginning options, how we edited. So the price for me depends one on how much work I've had to put into it. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, every most of the there, there's a lot of blending. There's a lot of real photography, and then as I, my whole goal, what again was filmmaking, right? So it's like understanding the journey. People that are collecting from me, you'll see that there isn't very much on secondary. Uh, people are holding them, which I think is really important. And I don't, I don't say this because I, I do believe in humility. Mm. So it's like I, I do think that there are people that are collecting because they're along the journey with me. They want to have some of that because they are evolving. They started. They, you know, there is storytelling. Um, the latest piece that I've I've done, for instance, I haven't minted it yet because I'm 
there's some events that I have planned that I've been invited to in the future that I, I, I may save for. But mm. um, I did one piece that originated from photography, and then it's gone through probably about 10 different programs. Um, but it was one image, and I've edited the image uh, to create uh, frames, and it's an animation, and it's still it originated from one image. So there's a lot of moving things, and it's a story. <laughs> it's a sci-fi little sci-fi blip, and oh my god, it started like about half, about you know, uh, maybe a minute and a half, and now it's down to ten seconds. The animation, so it's like I'm trying to get it to be like this really cool animation. The other thing with AI, people are doing a lot. I've noticed in this space. animation which i've not done oh, i don't really sorry I sorry like, your your audio cut out there for a sec what kind of ad- people are doing in this space My oh, audio the, cut the, you know like kyber can you hear me kyber yeah like kyber and runway all these other things okay. uh and i haven't really tried them too much uh i just don't like the way that they look maybe i'm being a little hoity-toity <laughs> but so i think they'll get better They'll get better. It's really interesting to watch the journey of how each tech is evolving. Like, I, I like the old, I liked it when we knew what was AI. To me, that was like, it was, it was, it was really cool. I don't want right. it to look like right So now like, they're too like, perfect for you? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, I have to go back. I'm like, man. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally got like those that. fingers down. You know, it took a while for them to get to five fingers. They always had six or <laughs> six or seven yeah, fingers like, on the hands. <laughs> Oh my god! So the price points, the price points are really depending on how much I'm doing. Like I sold a piece, and I was so excited. Patrick Amadon, who's like massive in this space, mm. collected uh, a piece for me that was um, that one was an animation. So and it was a, a multiple animation. There was had one image, and if I showed the original image, it doesn't look like what the image was. That was actually the animation. There's that the people were part of it. The four the foreground was part of it the background is completely different so there's a lot of different things and then i animated it the other thing i've been doing is doing audio i've been doing some teachings through some some of the animations so i've been reading um uh i've been doing music or you'll hear me doing some some different blends uh audio mixes of sounds and water and rain and like owls and then i'll say some words in cree or <laughs> or things like that so i'm doing a whole bunch of different things so if they're uh, for some of those they're all one of ones i tend to like one of ones meaning there's only one to collect um uh the more work there is, the higher the price point. Um, that's just how it works uh, for me. And uh, if it's, yeah, I like these I uh, astronaut pieces too. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So one other aspect of those is um, I've explained this a lot. I did one piece for for Sue Young's uh, Gorilla Gallery, which was a massive piece. So for mm. those, uh, those are for frame holders, uh, meaning that. Instead of imagine for, I mean, you probably understand this, but somebody else that's listening may not. Like if my mom was listening to this, she'd be like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, imagine three monitors side by side, but this is actually like that, but it's a truck. And so it's wrapping the truck. So right. I had to create a piece that was massively uh, able to fit on those. And I did. Um, 
And then for that piece, I did floral, a floral border, which was to me representing the, uh, like the, the, the beadwork. So that piece was called Warpath. Um, and there was a, a floral beadwork like on my moccasins. Um, and so a lot of the pieces, like you just mentioned, the astronaut, uh, I will use prompts about my uh, like beadwork and, and uh, different kinds of things like that. Because I look, you know, in the space yesterday, they were talking about whether or not there's going to AI is going to take over for physical artworks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said there's going to be a value. What's going to end up happening is everybody's going to be doing AI. And I just thought that was interesting. And I think one of the reasons why the person was interested in following me back was because I talked about, you know, uh, I became TP because I had an artist co-op and it was a physical place with a TP outside. And uh, there was, you know, artists that were in there that had moccasins, that had drums, that had paintings, that had jewelry, that had quilts, that had all these, te- you know, textile arts. And they are not considered artists. <laughs> so like I incorporate textile artwork and, and texture into my uh, TP5 pieces. So uh, I put like, obviously there aren't flowers in space, you know, so the pieces that are there are like, it's really talking about my indigenous future is, is, is taking my Anishinaabe moccasin style artwork uh, and putting them on as- astronauts in space. <laughs> no doubt. I like it. It's a good mashup. I can see it. It comes through. Uh, it's really beautiful. And um, yeah, I it's gonna it's historic whether you know the the broader space realizes just how historic it is i i I see the the provenance in it and it's really amazing i do want to talk on that topic of cross chain so you've got tp5 on the tezos blockchain on the ethereum blockchain even on the cardano blockchain um so I haven't, you know, really not familiar with the Cardano NFTs personally. I know they exist. I'm checking out this jpeg.store. Um, seeing a few of your TP5 on there for some Cardano. That's really cool. So why do you think it's important to kind of be as cross-chain as possible or blockchain as agnostic, as we like to call it? And kudos for being on so many blockchains already. But uh, why have you taken that tact? Well, I, I, every if you believe in community, communities are there are circles uh, that are uh, Interla- uh, inter overlapping inter <laughs> overlapping circles yeah. uh so we're all part of the same community um just the way that our indigenous mind works right we're all we're all uh we're all connected everything is connected and so when one fails uh, we all fail and when one grows we all grow and i do believe in that and so um, each one of those communities has a person. There's a person inside there. There's an artist that's in there that doesn't know. We got onboarded. If we got onboarded because we were talking to somebody on Ethereum and we only stayed there because we thought this is where we're supposed to be, we'd never grow. Uh, same with Tezos. Some people just came in and went, oh, I'm on Tezos. I'm staying on Tezos. And we're like, you know, vessels for information. And I think it's important to understand the intersection of how we're all connected understanding the scope of the space, understanding what uh, cryptocurrency is, understanding what NFT and tokens are, is really important. Um, And so to me, to be multi-chain demonstrates the understanding and the belief of what is Web3 then? Web3 is an intersection of an alternative media and an alternative currency. And so, you know, there are nearly 3,000 different kinds of tokens, and I happen to be on 10 of them. That's pretty small. Every single one of those people that believe in that chain, that believe in that self-governance, those govern- that, that way of, of having, you know, that, that utility and that interaction and the way of, of 
uh, use, uh, utilizing tech, tech and uh, economics to create um, and connect, it has value. And so I have a lot more to do. It seems like a lot, 10 different things, you know, it's, but it's actually not. I it have that <laughs> going on to Telos right away. I have Telos. I have Arbitrum. Mm. I've bridged to Arbitrum, Polygon. Nice. I have nftp.eth.sol. Zill, which is metaverse. Uh, <laughs> you know, awesome. there's a lot. So that I is... just think it's a drop in the bucket of a very huge ecosystem. Very and you don't think there's any worry about, you know, spreading yourself too thin or being available on too many marketplaces. There's there's that's not a concern for you. You think it's like you said, kind of helping the ecosystem. Each one of those different blockchains represents a different community. Uh, you mentioned Arbitrum, Polygon, which are kind of layer twos. So they're layer twos on top of Ethereum, but they definitely do have their own communities as well. And um, in many cases, vibrant NFT markets. So um, you're not concerned, though, about, you know, spreading too thin or losing track of one of the market places over another or something no not really mm. um i did say i'm neurodivergent to me it's just <laughs> like i'll pay that attention today and yeah, um that's cool i just think it's no I, I need to be stimulated i need it it's really part of who i am and I, my brain goes in every direction at once um the way that the multi-chain is so important um and i don't actually i actually you know i have collectors that believe in in yeah the they believe in the 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 whole brand of TP, which is that we're all equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and also that I'm punk rock. I'm like, I'm not your stereotype. And so it's punk rock no to not subscribe to the notion that we have to box ourselves. I refuse to. I, you'll never box me. <laughs> TPs are nomadic. I am TP and I will roam where I want to. I will That's be free. It. I will be strong. Freedom. Freedom <laughs> is the word. Most definitely. <laughs> I uh, appreciate it. It's, uh, it's amazing. So I was going to ask you um, specifically about the metaverse. You just mentioned it um, and, you know, whether you have any plans for kind of uh, venturing into the metaverse, maybe TP5 becomes an actual destination in the digital landscape. Um, you have any thoughts around that? Of course, one of the very first one of the very first things I wanted to do was to put uh, a TP up in the metaverse, but have it be like a film uh, location gallery. Mm. So uh, I'm literally in Blender uh, trying to figure out how to do my GBL files for that. I've been uh, in the metaverse, uh, you know, but I haven't built in the metaverse yet. And the people that have offered me land in in different locations, wow. um, I was part of. Uh, uh, beta testing for a Tezos a metaverse, which I am part of, and that's where probably I'll build first, just because cool. I like the idea of being punk rock and being the first doing something unusual there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. I've been waiting to I'm see like, a Tezos uh, metaverse. I was wondering what they're doing. They don't. Yeah, it doesn't no, seem to be a priority stuff. for them. <laughs> I've been on it for a year already. Yeah, so been yeah, on it. I, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's things that are happening, and I think it's it's important for me to for me to represent. Like, I, it's really a challenge, uh, I have to say. I remember going to see, I was in Clubhouse, and it was uh, Drake Campbell, I think, Espanol. He was in the metaverse. Uh, he was in a live show, and he was live streaming to, I don't know, it was a metaverse 
place and I remember getting stuck in the I was stuck underneath the 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 <laughs> I was just stuck there trying to figure out how the heck to move. And it's part of our learning curve was getting stuck between walls and uh, it's like <laughs> yep. those glitches. Immediately, I'm an OG gamer too from back in the day playing nice. from Atari. To, I have every version of Xbox still in my house right now. Wow. Uh, but I'm an OG gamer, and it's one of those kind of glitch effects where you're halfway between like. <laughs> yes, very familiar. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome that you're in the OG gamer space, too, because I think that helps navigate the space a lot, too. You've always been into tech. You've been into gaming. Like, that's everything, really. I mean, that's what brought me into Web3. It was first the the metaverse and the idea that these digital assets actually have real-world value now, and that that just was mind-blowing to me. Um, but the technology brought me in. But like you said, I stay for the arts, and I've been staying for the arts myself as well, and amazing conversations like what we're having today, which is just super inspiring and speaks to really, like, the power of the technology to bring people together to make the world a little bit smaller, but also to create opportunities and raise awareness, um, importantly. So we've really dropped a lot of gems or you've dropped a lot of gems today. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, I don't want to end without talking about the other part of your creative journey, which is the lens based aspect. And um, really, it's amazing the photos that you've been able to capture. I'm looking now at um, your being sacred collection on OpenSea. And the uh, rocks are really resonating with me, you know, these pre Cambrian, big rocks that exist in Manitoba. Toba across the Canadian Shield that really don't exist anywhere else in the world. They're extremely ancient uh, rocks that have been basically exposed by, you know, different uh, climate change over the last like 10,000, 15,000 years. Um, so it's really amazing and fascinating. And then you have these kind of uh, sacred stone stone creations that you have uh, photographed. So I'd just love to hear a little bit about your your uh, photography side of things and um, why you chose to kind of uh, put these pieces on the blockchain, which are really cool. I don't know if they qualify as petroglyphs or just stone um, creations, but yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about them and your photography uh, <laughs> career before we wind down here. I know... <laughs> Oh, it's all good. It's all okay, good. No, cool. I'm totally enjoying it. This is like my favorite thing to talk about, not me, but awesome. to talk about culture. So no, absolutely. This, okay, first off, back, just I want to make one point about this massive intersection between gaming, uh, you know, sustainability, art, you know, it, as a as somebody who's played games, we know that the tech was there. We know that the artists were there. Mm -hmm. Back into that culture of gaming culture and comic culture, uh, uh, you know, going and appreciating concept artists um, and meeting some of them in this space has been massive. John Park was amazing. Um, you know, my favorite, some of my favorite illustrators are comic book artists or in, been in different games. So there's like this massive intersection for anybody that's into any kind of really cool alternative culture. Um, and I love it. I think there's there's a lot to unpack there. And I think when you, I stand up and say, uh, you know, I'm not a stereotype. I'm an Indigenous person who's punk rock, listen to punk rock music. Uh, I'm an activist. I'm really into contemporary culture. I'm really into uh, evolving the, uh, the, the voices of Indigenous communities that still practice ceremony but can talk to you about anything you want. Like, let's talk about the cake is alive for Pete's sake, you know, <laughs> <laughs> portal for those who haven't played that. But, you know, things like that. Uh, I think that's the space. Uh, understanding that when, I, when I'm playing a video game right now and I want to get something, I wish I could keep it forever. Or I could sell it later when I've evolved, right? Like, that's something that I want. I spend money 
every week on my games and it doesn't translate to nfts and web3 yet and when it does i'll be happy because it's money that's lost i get i don't get to it just comes yeah. out of my account stays on there to, stays on their I ecosystem it, right. i couldn't sell it again i get like somebody else that's behind me and that you know i'm at the top uh, uh of my league right now I, I i don't mean that i'm at the top meaning i'm the best i'm at the top meaning i can't really evolve anymore mm, right. <laughs> i'm not the best but i can't evolve anymore i'm level 60 or something right so it's like i stay there but all the weapons and different things that i had along the journey i wish i could sell to somebody who's like you know still at level 30 you know exactly that's that's my point like that's we haven't got there yet There's that's a the lot web three promise right there we're hoping yes. one day yeah yeah <laughs> so anyways but um okay so then back to the the changing that so in the conversation, of course, it's really important for me to talk about sacred because I'm a knowledge keep a sacred site keeper, a sacred knowledge keeper, meaning that I've been shown things and told things that I can't share with other people, right? Um, and I take that role very responsibly. I've participated in ceremonies that are very serious um, and, and very important to participate in uh, in reclaiming culture. So I've shared that, uh, you know, I had uh, a couple of pieces that, you know, or, or about, you know, uh, journaling or, uh, you know, noteworthy dates on, on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And then um, in the conversation about, I said, you know, people are photographer, you know, doing photography of different Indigenous communities while the Indigenous communities themselves aren't the photographers, right? So I, I, this is an important thing to state. So um, there was some Indigenous Business Week uh, events happening, <clears throat> and my uh, my daughter Sage was invited because she's an Indigenous photographer. Mm. And it's like it's really important to understand that you could have a photographer, and th that they would think to have not only Indigenous photographer but an ind Indigenous woman photographer for for Indigenous Business Week. Mm. You know, it's that's what we need to see. We need right. to see people saying yes. The event is important, but who are the who are the people that are evolving that? You know, um, are you including just even the that in itself? Having so, anyways, that's an example of the how how quickly it can disseminate to non being non indigenous supportive if, if we're not actually utilizing all of the, the possibilities of uh, indigenous uh, entrepreneurs or specific cultural entrepreneurs, right? right. So, anyways. Um, the importance for me of talking about sacred has been uh, consistent in this space. Um, and it's not just for me, but, you know, I had friends that were talking about, they were in Asia and they were talking about people going to Buddhist sites and taking photographs of Buddhist monks and things like that. And to them, there was, you know, opinions that they shouldn't be done or shouldn't or whatever. Um it's not, you know, I said, we're not the sacred police. Like, I'm not. It's not my role to tell people what they should, uh, should mm -hmm. or shouldn't do. It is interesting, though, to come from a perspective like, here, this is it. And one of the things I wanted to say, it's one thing to state you're Indigenous. It's another, you know, that you self-identify. But, like, do, do you recognize your community? Does your community recognize you? What do you know about your community? Do you know about your history? Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it was really important to document and I called that series, the series is called Being Sacred. Um, and it's a place uh, that's not very far away from where I am. And it was made by my ancestors. And it's over 10,000 years old. And they're petroforms, they're called. Um, and one interesting story, because I want to tie it back to one last thing as we're wrapping up here. Mm -hmm. Because you talked about the dismantling of that statue. 
And so at this petroform, one of the pieces I have there being sacred, and it's really important because it's a lesson. They had this one piece and it's called the snake. Um, and the snake doesn't exist anymore. So people came and they took this, They some people came along and uh, I don't know if you know what a nukshuk is, I do, but it's yes. actually a, a landmarker to say here's and it's a path. So somebody came along and they picked up all the snake and they turned it into a nukshuk. Uh, and so there's a picture of the Anukshuk. So, you know, you're talking about this dismantling of this, this statue. So wh- when I was talking about the Being Sacred series, and again, I think that series has been nearly sold out. I'm not hypey about like, oh, those kinds of things. <laughs> it makes me really shy to talk about it. But the, uh, the Anukshuk was one of the first ones to go, I think. And it was because I told this story. And somebody had asked me when I was talking about it, why didn't they put the snake back? And I said, because now we have the story of the Nukshuk. And now you know that somebody thought that it was okay. There's a lesson to be learned. Mm. There's a lesson to be learned. By dismantling the snake and turning into something else, uh, everybody knows about the snake. That, that snake you can't see anymore, but we know about it. And we know because we tell the story. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, a lot of things are conversations that are, uh, we, we have a storytelling, we have an audible, we have to listen to each other. So I, I think that's, that's the most important takeaway from all of this conversation about culture, about what is Web3, about artist journeys, it's about being brave, about being strong, and also hearing the stories. And it includes science and tech. We have to have those stories from the original people that could t- to evolve. Uh, we need to change some of the data biases that we have and cultural biases that we have. So um, to me, I really like the story of the snake and the Anukshuk. And it was only because I went there and I, and I saw that, that, that and I took a picture of it and I shared the story that people are even aware that there's a story to tell. So Exactly. That's it. It's amazing. 10,000-year-old petroforms. <laughs> and I've heard about these petroforms, but I haven't found them. And I don't know if the location is even widely shared or if it's still kind of trying to keep it under wraps for ceremonial and not having people mess up more of them. <laughs> um, so I don't know how, how, like, is it on private land or... Is it um, uh, some something that is very accessible that everybody can go visit? It's to- it's one hundred percent accessible, mm. and um, I want this, I'm going to say one last thing. It's really important. Mm. So a lot of people think that you know there's this whole land back uh, movement, which is really important to those that are. It's really important to to me. I think it's really important to understand when we are looking at policy for uh, environmental protection. A lot of indigenous communities don't stand in your way. They actually give up land to protect it. And so quite often there's a fiduciary responsibility for the government to protect land, right? So the indigenous communities will give up sacred sites and sacred lands uh, to the government of Canada under the fiduciary obligation to protect it, mm-hmm. to turn it into parks because it falls under certain policy and jurisdiction. So currently the uh, petroforms are uh, under, they're at a park in uh, Whiteshell. Okay. So, um, yeah, you can check it out. Um, is it the Whiteshell National Park or is it a different one? It's called, ba- it's called Bannock Point. Bannock Point. Okay. I have heard of that again, but yeah, yeah. I'd love to look it up. I, yeah. 
That's going to be a good, that's going to be a good trip. I think a good hike for me. Bannock points going down. It's amazing. It's massive to walk through. So yeah, it's beautiful. It's on the, it's on the, um, it smells amazing. I hung the red dress. My daughter Sage and I hung a red dress there for my twin sister. Mm. Uh, so you'll kind of go and you'll see around the perimeter. You'll see dresses that are cotton dresses. You'll see lots of tobacco ties, Mm. um, lots of ribbons tied through the area. Um, and they have a center ceremonial point, which is massive. I think there's, uh, I think that might be part of my, uh, one of my photography pieces there, but, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Amazing. Okay. I got an amazing idea and it's going down. We're going to go view that place and, um, pay respects and it's really, um, profound. And yeah, like you said, if you didn't take the picture, put it on the blockchain, talk about that snake petroform being messed up and then turned into an Anukshuk, I would have never known that. And I've heard of Bannock Point. I've heard of the petroforms in Northern Manitoba or outside of the city, but you know, without having this conversation, I don't think I'd take the initiative. Um, so I do need to see that piece of Manitoba history for sure. Um, and thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing everything that you've shared today, really. A lot of amazing insights, a lot of personal story that uh, you didn't have to share that are going to help, I think, a lot of people and help with healing and really with raising awareness about um, a lot of the struggles faced by Indigenous people and the wrongs of history that are still being rectified. And we will continue to work at it. And um, yeah, the sentiment across North America that Indigenous voices are hard to find or in the worst cases don't matter. Some people out there, you know, um, is something we have to continually push back against and, you know, finding indigenous voices to speak to indigenous issues is not a difficult thing. Um, you know, hiring indigenous photographers, artists, any other creators to really take part in events that are, you know, profound and related to them. It's not a difficult thing. It should be a no brainer really. Um, so I'm glad that you kind of brought those points up and that we were able to really emphasize that today. Um, kind of final question or two that I have for you here, TP is like, what can we look forward to into the future? Um, is there any project you're working on that you want to share with us? And I'm already excited about that Tezos metaverse. So <laughs> look forward to seeing what happens there. Um, but personally, um, what are you working on next and what can we look forward to TP and web three? Oh, there's a number. So I've, I've had my work put up um, in a number of um, international spaces. Um, I know that I have been invited for the last six months to participate at the IHAM Gallery in Paris. Um, and so they wanted to, that team wanted to onboard me to Super Rare for that. Um, I, I don't know much about Super Rare, but I know that everybody wants to go there. I'm not sure that's necessarily, I, I don't need, I don't know. Uh, so they wanted to necess- they were thinking about that uh, Nifty Gateway and Super Rare. So to me, I feel like th- those are epic pieces. So um, I'm kind of working on pieces for that. Um, also through s- with with um, so I'm a frame holder. I have nine frames for uh, Vizmesh.io, which is Sue Young's uh, project. Mm. Which means that he sets up gallery spaces. Um, he did one this year. Uh, with Gorilla Gallery. Then there's another one called Unseen. And I often host other people uh, on my frames. Uh, So the last one I did three, I I hosted five international artists. And um, and then I think Su Young has, uh, he has one uh, one gallery showing in, uh, another one in, I think, Miami. And, uh, I, I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. Be at Art Basel, maybe. 
No, yeah. I don't think Art Basel. But I did want to say something about about Art Basel. Speaking, okay. I, I, you must have just pulled that out of my head. There you go. But anyways, Art Basel. Um, so when I was talking about, you know, what what do we do? about recognizing Indigenous community. Um, so I was invited last year for Art Basel uh, to, do, to create a piece and um, to have it featured there and that any sales would go to an organization there. And so what I chose to do was I, I did a uh, Water is Healing piece uh, and I looked up, where is Art Basel? What is the Indigenous community there? Um, and are they looking for fundraising? Do they need assistance? And so there was a uh, indigenous community there. I donated to them. I recognized them. I tagged them on my Twitter and said, you know, these this is an indigenous community there that's having impacts because of the development of the land around them on their medicinal uh, wetlands there. Wow. And so it's really interesting that people don't even give that any thought. You know, like what is happening in Canada? We do. We do much more. Like we recognize uh, the treaty lands and things like that. But I'm not sure that's done as often as it should be in the United States. And I don't think so. Again, to to the fact that there's large crypto events with large mon- large uh, economies and a lot of transactions happening without the recognition of the original peoples. Um, and it's like, why do we have to do that? And I just don't, uh, you know, I think it's an important part of our ecosystem to understand what, what we do and how we contribute and how we take away. And anybody that's signaling one thing, is, you know, without actually being cognizant of true impact, what is your real life impact? Um, I think that's a disconnect that needs to be, re- uh, you know, remedied. I think that's one thing that we can do with blockchain technologies, really start recognizing true impact and, and mitigating it. <laughs> and let's advocate for land acknowledgements at Web3 events, you know, frankly, you especially should. especially in the States, because I'm sure, I mean, I won't even assume because I'm going to Blockchain Futurist Conference in Toronto next week or not next week, next month. And I'll be able to let you know whether they did land acknowledgement. I hope they would. I think they will um, being in Canada and it is becoming more popular or more um, necessary, mandatory, expected to do um, the land acknowledgements at the beginning of major events and speaking um, engagements. So I do hope to see that. But if it doesn't happen, I will raise it as a an issue for sure. And I do think that, you know, in America, it is from what I've experienced, far less common or maybe even just not even happening at all. And, you know, you might get attacked as woke or whatever crazy, you know, anti uh, <laughs> social progress, essentially That's kind of perspective. Woke, right. right? We're selectively woke. Right, we, we selectively woke. woke yeah, I, I hate that whole conversation, honestly. <laughs> and I've seen it. I've seen it slowly creeping into the vernacular in Canadian politics, and I'm very disappointed. I, I used to be able to proudly say, you know, none of our politicians will go talking about being anti-woke or taking on the woke, uh, whatever, you know. But now we have politicians talking that crazy stuff too. So I can no longer be proud of our own <laughs> politics. <laughs> um, but all that to say, you know, I think that we need to continue to raise awareness of how important it is like how much something as simple as a land acknowledgement of the original indigenous community that you know had that land before the settlers before it had you know been turned into the modern cities or modern spaces that they are today you know it, it makes all the difference right it starts like you said healing words are healing you know and being acknowledgements can be healing you know um and so i think that that is a a great point to bring up and i hope that any anybody from the web3 space and the nft space that's listening to this might think about you know are we acknowledging indigenous culture as much as we should and if not let's do better right 
Well, we're being buried. Uh, and I'm just going to say this because it's important to say mm. we're being buried. We're still buried. We're still impacted because if you don't see us, uh, indigenous uh, identity in um modern media which you don't in film and tv shows you don't see us you know we're on reserve um we're and why are we on reserve it's separate we're you know we're totally segregated we're still being segregated we're not part of regular culture uh we're a novelty and even then there's usually if there's an indigenous person i can't remember what it was but there's like comedic relief from like this indigenous voice with this indigenous twang or something in the states or something you know Mm. uh or you know the favorite characters uh, you know so it's kind of interesting so i just think that uh you know, land acknowledgement goes to recognizing and then, you know, it makes sense that you, people start seeing us there. We can tell our own stories. We do our own film, like, filmmaking and things like that. So, uh, yes, I think it's an important part of the the journey for cryptocurrency, especially in the conversation when we're like signaling uh, sustainability, which is like it's going to come down to that. It's always been part of the conversation. Um, and so you can't use one without the other and then not even go to the very basics of like acknowledging where your your conference is coming from and the indigenous people that are segregated outside of now you know so yeah, it's crazy it's to serious, me. <laughs> it is crazy um and the burying you know that's i'm glad you put it that way because there's no denying that that has happened you know there was an explicit attempt to bury indigenous culture and voices now that is less explicit but definitely still very implicit and still explicit in some corners for sure so the burying needs to stop and uh, we need to continue to raise up voices and advocate for indigenous voices especially on the topic of sustainability of all kinds environmental social governance you know there's a lot of lessons and important kind of learnings to take from history and from the cultural teachings of indigenous people that we can really learn from and benefit from today and maybe start putting into practice and um, becoming more sustainable, becoming more, um, you know, in sync with earth and with um, the kind of environment more broadly and as humans just helping each other out and acknowledging each other having empathy for each other and really less name calling and sniping and all this crazy stuff um, that we've especially seen in the web3 space even just (laughs) in the last week so i do want to thank you so much tp for this conversation i know we're just you know hitting the two hour mark it's amazing and i could talk to you all day about web3 and creativity and arts and culture and technology we're also um just a little snippet that we're going to be working on and i'm so grateful that you've agreed to to work on this as well a local initiative that's really going to be highlighting arts culture and technology here in manitoba in the web3 space Um, it's going to be global in scope and really looking to highlight that intersection and how it can change society and create opportunities for the better Um, so stay tuned for that and uh, i'm really excited to have somebody so knowledgeable so well connected so in tune with their own culture um, but also with sustainability and how we can make positive steps um, into the future you know to be able to work with you it's going to be really exciting Uh, i'm really looking forward to that Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we shut her down here oh that's exciting um yeah, for my that's one thing definitely I was excited for um, because you know in the space you want to evolve. So it's one thing to spend time advocating and building for others and giving time uh, to let others speak, which is to, I've done for years. And then um, and then last year, this past year and a half, I've been focusing on my art a lot. 
Um, and that's really important to me because, as I mentioned, there's a lot of healing that I'm doing and, and channeling um, and a lot of creative creativity that I'm trying to evolve and towards right i'm trying to get some filmmaking out using retro retro tech and things like that really important to me um and the other thing is that if you don't build it the way that you want to see it then it won't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean it's going to exist so certainly my future includes you know i've been asked a number of different times to do different events in canada or participate and i'm I, i feel like it's really important to me to find the right uh the right um you know, team, the right uh, environment, the right location for me to feel okay about that. And I think, um, you know, just even in this conversation, I feel like there's a great connection, understanding, um, understanding impact and understanding location is really important to me. So I'd like to build from my location and build with somebody else that's maybe a bit more urban because I'm a rural community member and I really (laughs) thrive in that way. Well, I check off that box. Born and raised in Winnipeg, a bit of an urbanite, but uh, I have a lot of deep respect for the rural communities and especially I've visited quite a few reserves and I always love, you know, whether it's a powwow or whether it's just being, you know, welcomed with amazing bannock and just, you know, the cultural customs. It's always uh, resonating with me and I, I owe a lot to uh, indigenous culture um, for me finding my own space you know you talked about knowing where you're from I am a, I'm a mixed person I come from varied backgrounds you know and I'm born and raised here in Winnipeg and I always thought of myself as Canadian first and you know I have African background I have European background and that's all great but you know this is where I come from and the pain of the history of this place, you know, and I realized, you know, I can still be under the settler um, uh, title, if as it were, but it resonates with me. And I think it's so important to what you were saying, you know, that acknowledging it, trying to heal, trying to create real reconciliation, actually learning from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and, you know, using those learnings to push society forward. And I do think that a good chunk of Canadians want to do that, you know, not enough. And we'll continue to raise awareness and continue to get more people on side with what needs to be done. But um, hopefully it's a growing uh, cohort of Canadians that are going to push this forward. So thank you for all of the lessons you've imparted on us today. Um, I hope that our audience takes away a lot of good gems, not just in Web3 and in NFTs, but in creativity, in arts, in culture and technology, and really just the history of of Canada and where we're at right now and um, the opportunities we have ahead of us. So I'm so grateful, TP. Thank you so much Um, to the audience. You know, we'll be back next week, as always, with Web3 Warriors. Looking forward to actually going to continue the conversation around AI. Um, And also, if you're not already connected uh, with me on LinkedIn, um, you can find the Web3 Warriors podcast on LinkedIn. You can also find myself, David Karoma, on LinkedIn and connect with me there. We're starting monthly conversations, Web3 Warrior panel discussions um, on LinkedIn that are fairly broad. Next week, we're going to be talking about metaverse and digital assets. Um, And then the month after, we're actually going to be looking at mental health and healing um, and also navigating the social media, crazy social media space and how things are. Um, So NFTP, I don't know if you're on LinkedIn, but I'd love to have you uh, as part of that conversation as well. And I think I definitely have to have you back for a part two because we didn't quite get into the the social media nitty gritty and all of the amazing kind of uh, things that you've been doing in that space as well. Um, and also there's always more conversations around arts, culture and technology um, and that intersection. So I'd love to have you back anytime. And uh, I really, really appreciate all of the knowledge you dropped during this episode. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. Definitely. Um, my LinkedIn is 
uh, I think it was more education and film. Uh, so I haven't switched it to NFTs. I have to do an update on all that. Again, I definitely would have more to say about social media, but save that for another time. I want to sure. thank you so much for having me and allowing us to just kind of go with the flow. Um, and again, all I really want to do is uh, advocate for uh, professionalism from uh, for Indigenous. And I'm not expecting Canadians or other people to change. It's not my agenda. I do want to acknowledge that a lot of Indigenous people don't self-identify because of the the, the marginalization that it puts them in. And uh, really, that's really sad for me. So if anything, I'm standing up. Uh, my message today, again, and every day is be kind and be brave. So that's to everybody. And it. that's it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much, TP. Be kind, be brave. And we will continue to have that conversation. Like you said, much more we can discuss. And uh, we'll save that for next time. We'll get TP back for part two. Uh, but until then, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with Web3 Warriors. Until then, catch you in the metaverse. Peace out.